Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Coffee's On. I'm Wesley. And I'm Richard. And today we will be talking about a very important element to making coffee, the grind. As much as we like to pontificate about roasts and origins and brewing methods, a hugely important factor to the end taste of coffee is the grind. So we'll cover everything about the history of ground coffee and coffee grinders, including a fun journey into the world of patents. We'll cover what the different types of grinders are and their pros and cons. We'll also cover which grind to use for what brewing methods. But first, we have to taste some coffee. Today's roast comes to us all the way from Nebraska, our homeland. The last time Wesley was back home, he made a stop at the mill, which is Lincoln's oldest coffee shop since 1975, where he picked up a bag of their aptly named Haymarket blend. I say apt because they are located in Lincoln's historic Haymarket area. This is a medium roast blend with beans from Colombia, Guatemala, and Costa Rica. So, Wesley, what do you taste? Well, a lot. It, it changes a lot once you've added milk. I'm going to start there because I usually take my coffee with milk or cream. It smelled, so I, like as, as our listeners know, I always start with smell. It smelled very sweet and flowery. I don't know if you got that. The, the grounds kind of smelled that way. Um, once we did the V60 pour over first uh, with Richard's new handy dandy uh what is it like a gooseneck yeah gooseneck swan neck however yes. you want to describe it Pot. we got we got the correct carafe oh my god it pours yeah. so much better so carafe, much more smoothly i will say boiler. if you're gonna invest in a v60 pour over setup go with a pot not just like the v actual v60 and carafe that it pours into but go with a pot uh, whether electric or stovetop that has a swan or gooseneck to it it will make pouring so much easier and you'll get a much better quality of of brewed coffee at yeah, the yeah. end of it. I could so, tell. Anywho. I got it for Richard for his birthday. Thank you. Okay. So back to this Haymarket roast from the mill. I got smoky flavors from the from the V60 pour. And I also got a very breakfasty feel like when you go to like, you know what it kind of well, one, it took me right back to Nebraska because this was the coffee you got or we would get for like a fifth, this it was the 50 cent refill cup. So this was the coffee we drank endlessly at the mill because it was the cheap one. And it's really actually very good and robust. Um, I did get like a berry flavor. I, I It wasn't as intense as a citrusy sour. It was sour a little bit like tart. But I want to say it was somewhere in like the current family, maybe raspberry a little bit like it wasn't lime or lemon, not near that far in on the intensity. Uh, and then with milk, once we did the the drip coffee maker, I said that the prominent flavor is slightly on the woodsy side and caramel comes through very strong. OK, I I think really the only thing that I'm going to agree with you on in t- terms of what I tasted was the flour kind of graininess to it so i smelled that. i put wheat down too i so forgot to say that I'm mine sorry. was oats grains flowers wheat that's okay. what i got just right off the, the bat. sweetness factors yes, yes i completely agree so that was with the smell that was with the first taste on the v60 everything was just very like 
and maybe this is me trying to put something on it that's not there because I'm thinking of Nebraska and home and wheat and grains and stuff like that. <laughs> but like I tasted so much um, of those kind of natural flavors in it, but sure. not the heavy flavors. So not these dark oats, malts, things like that. No, Lighter no, it was light grains and um, flowers and things it almost like that. Remi- I wrote down like when I think of a sweet grain, I think of wheat. Because it's the one thing where if you buy whole wheat bread, it's usually got a sweetness to it if it's organic. So, like, I highlight organic because if you buy Sara Lee, it's just all sugar. So, no offense. But, uh, yeah, I definitely got that weedy flavor, almost Mm. like a beer, where it gets that sweetness from it. A little bit. Yeah, kind of like a... I'm thinking like a Pilsner or something like Ooh, that. Yes, my favorite. Yes. Maybe that's why I sussed it out quick. I was yeah. like, yes, I like this. So kind. with that, because I did get sweetness in there, but it was hard for me to place it because it wasn't a fruit sweet. I tasted almost like no fruit in this myself. So the sweetness that I got was probably more of like a honey, like a, a more natural. I only sweetness. again, I only to just to our listeners, I only got the fruit flavor on the V60 I do not get it at all. I tasted it black from the drip and I tasted straight up oats on that one. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it was a thing of, you know what it could be. And I hate to say this. I bought this a while back. I bought this a couple of months ago and I've kept it, you know, airtight in a dark place. Sometimes though, beans can begin to lose their flavor. And if you do pour overs, you'll get sour flavors as that's just kind of where the flavors have started to go south. Yeah. So it is possible because I went to Nebraska hmm, two months ago and bought this. And I and these were whole beans that we ground ourselves. But but we'll get maybe. to the freshness of beans. In another episode. No, in this episode. Oh, and we will? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll touch on See how well we've coordinated I this I clearly episode. haven't read Richard's side of the script. <laughs> nor, have I, nor have I read Wesley's. I added it two hours ago. Exactly. So, um... I will say I did get a little bit of on the V60 at the very end, almost like an aftertaste on the tip of my tongue was a kind of crisp, fresh, like lemony apple crisp taste. Okay. Like just at the very end on the tip of my tongue. That's really the only fruit flavor I got. But I think I also agree on the breakfast thing. Yeah. Like I wanted a bowl of cereal when I drank this. I was like, I want frosted mini wheats. So bad right oatmeal. now. I love oatmeal. See that too. So I think oatmeal with brown sugar and butter. Mm. I think <laughs> my guess is they probably this is probably their all one of their all day medium roasts, but yeah. definitely one of their morning medium roasts. This is probably a breakfast blend for them. This one I bought it on purpose because I I went so at the mill I bought this. Let me give you a quick rundown of where the mill is where I got this. You can there's two there's three locations mm-hmm. now. There's the original mill in the Haymarket district of Lincoln, Nebraska. This is our hometown. There's also also the one I went to, which is across the street from Lincoln High School, which is where we went to high school. Now, let me preface that by saying this was not around. This when, wasn't when there when we, we went, went to high school. school which that was a parking lot. When makes we me. Went to high it was a telephone company and a parking lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. And it makes me so mad because I would have spent every lunch at that mill if I if that was it's open. Really nice. It has a big school. outdoor section. So it's and then really there's the South shop. Mill, which is I believe on. Prescott and 48 cross from Union College It's a Union College it might be it's not Calvert that's too far either way it's the by Union College that's yeah. a South Mill which is great too all three of these locations sell all their coffees the one in Haymarket is has a huge selection I know but this is the one that we know like from forever is the Haymarket blend so I mm-hmm. went ahead and got that one I also have the Nebraska blend 
still, which yeah. we might break out. But they have a huge variety too now. And I think they're I could be wrong, maybe they're producing enough, but I think originally not only was the coffee shop down in the Haymarket, the actual uh roastery was downtown as well. It was one in one of those yeah. buildings. I don't know if it's still there. I'm they might sure. have a small roaster there where they might just roast stuff for sure. that location. Um or just one blend, like maybe the Haymarket blend they right. make there. Um they have tea at the at the one in I think at all the locations they have tea. But especially the Haymarket now. one. I actually have a, a, a mill mug. They have really tea. cool coffee mugs. They do. I always buy coffee. Richard and I have this in Richard actually got me into doing this. Anytime I visit a coffee shop, I have to buy a new coffee mug from that coffee shop. If we like it. If we like it. Now, granted, this is a bad part of my coffee mug addiction, but <laughs> Anywho. anyways, but yeah, so that's the mill, um, the oldest, um, the oldest one in Lincoln, Nebraska, and definitely a standard, um, a great place. If you're ever driving through there and need a place to stop and grab yeah. a cup of coffee, please stop there. Um, but from their website, cause I will actually give a description of what they say on their website Perfect. is that. Um, it is comfortably mild yet full bodied. However, you get a quote, playful fruity notes at the end. So it's really not like a very descriptive, uh, description. Uh, Uh, it's not very involved. It doesn't give you exact flavors, profiles, um, like fruit notes or, or grain notes or anything like that. Um, but it's a pretty standard description for a solid medium roast. Like I would say that's a pretty like... You know, full-bodied yet light. Um, some fruity notes, a little bit of grain in it. It's one of like the, that's what you want for a breakfast blend. Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those coffees that it, it's it's palatable for a lot of people. It's not mm-hmm. a specific like you know, Yerga Chefe, you know, Ethiopian this or Sumatran that. It's just like plain and simple coffee for yeah. that you that would probably be gotten in the morning rather than the evening. Mm-hmm. So, I love it. It it takes me back. Yeah. So this <laughs> so I think we are definitely hitting on this. This we would call this a breakfast blend. Definitely. I would also say this is a good I just need a cup of coffee in the afternoon to get me through the end of my work shift. Cup of coffee. Yeah, that Like too. if I'm going to have like a coffee pot at work and I just need something to push me through to mm-hmm. 5 o'clock, I'm going to throw this blend in there. Yeah, as well. totally, totally. And you know, all you Lincolnites listening, we encourage you to go to the mill, patronize small businesses. So mm-hmm. whoever from Lincoln is listening, all six of you. So <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that is our coffee tasting for today. Uh, again, that is the Haymarket blend from the mill in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can order it online and get it shipped. I'm guessing oh, nationwide. Nice. Cool. Or at least that's what it seems like. Um, Shipping so, and handling probably yeah. just varies. Uh, so yeah, go for it if it sounds like a good blend for you and if you want to support one of our favorite places uh, growing up. But we will carry on into the body of this episode and really dig into coffee grinds. Ooh, the grind. (laughs) 
So really, the final step of coffee before it gets brewed is the grind. And like everything else in the coffee process from growth to drink, the grind you use is essential to how the coffee is going to taste in your cup. We've talked a lot about the origins of coffee and how it was figured out, but there really isn't much history on the grinding of coffee and its importance to coffee taste, or at least not a lot that I could find. I know, Wesley, you found specifics on, like, the actual the patenting. Methods. It's the methods of grinding, the not methods. necessarily the, like, discovery of taste and or anything that like that. That grinding the coffee yeah. will make it taste different. Exactly. So what I like to think here is that for some time after it was discovered that roasting or baking the beans made them taste better, there was a time that people were drinking just the baked coffee beans in hot water. Like, without having ground them first, like, essentially like tea. You know, they just baked them, dried them, essentially like they would tea, and threw them into boiling water. Sure. So, we've mentioned before that, you know, tea predates coffee by centuries. So, yeah, I'd like to think that these first monks making coffee were steeping baked coffee beans like tea before they realized that they could grind them and get essentially more out of the beans. And I know sure. that might sound a little bit silly, and I'm kind of like, smiling giggling as Maybe. i'm saying this but yeah. like i don't know when it was they decided like hey we need to smash these up to get a better full-bodied taste out of these beans you know that because the even the story that you told in like the very first episode is that the monks you know they um toss them in the fire to try to get rid of them but then the aroma was so great that they're like oh my gosh we have to pull these out of the fire mm -hmm. and then they threw them into water to help like stop that heating process sure. and then it diluted yeah, the water the and then the they drank the water that for right sure. so yeah. if that's kind of the story we're going off of on the discovery of coffee when was the discovery of grinding the beans the baked cop now baked coffee beans to make a more stronger flavorful cup of sure. coffee i wonder if it had something to do with uh maybe just someone deduced that and was like hey obviously these provide like a weak maybe these are like if they're weak flavored maybe if i break them open there's something mm -hmm. inside of them that will impart more flavor like it's strange and it could have been you know they maybe when they ate them too they realized that, that when too. they bit into eat them, them and um, they it, were created more like oils and stuff like that that were a little more flavorful my guess they may have been you know they were made into energy bars maybe we don't know for sure if they were being crushed and into put the into end, these energy, energy bars because yeah. maybe some you know there were probably people at that time who realized you know oh wow this has these qualities to it if i break it open it might be a little bit stronger or it could have just also been for ease of production with something like it made an energy bar easier to mold or shape in a way if it was crushed up maybe exactly. but yeah no i couldn't find anything about like there's not a proclamation anywhere of like this person ground the coffee and it was ground forevermore because of them yeah. like that doesn't exactly. exist <laughs> so pretty much the baseline to this is unfortunately we can't find much history on when that discovery was made nor is there any information on how coffee was traditionally brewed before their became a standardized way though at some point it is fair to say that ground coffee beans were introduced into the brewing process but probably in a very similar way that tea was made so this i'm thinking what we would think of cowboy coffee right yeah. you're just throwing the grinds into the boiling water let it boil together or let it you know steep in mm -hmm. this boiling or hot water and then once it cools off a little bit you pour it out and hope that you don't you know get any in your mouth kind right of a thing. yeah 
So, and the longer you let it sit, the stronger and stronger and exactly. redu- more reduced it becomes, which exactly. is why where you get the cowboy coffee, like the thick, the really thick. Yeah, yeah. that's what that is. So the loosely ground beans would be tossed into a pot of boiling water where the water would extract everything it could from the ground coffee beans. Then after a specific amount of time, the pot would be removed from the heat where it would cool slightly uh, and the ground beans would settle at the bottom. Uh, then it would be poured into smaller cups for serving hopefully with most of the grind still sitting at the bottom of the actual pot. Um, So this brewing process, which is probably one of the first, like, real standardized ways of making coffee, is pretty much what we would now call Turkish coffee. Uh, So this is where coffee is boiled in water in a pot called a Chezve? A Chevy Chase. It's (laughs) C-E-Z-V-E. I don't know how that's pronounced in Turkish. No, unfortunately, idea. I couldn't like I tried finding ways of pronouncing it online and I can't. Um, but essentially, it's a small copper pot with a long wooden handle. So this copper pot is probably not much bigger than an actual coffee mug. Um, right, like yeah. think of it's probably like 12 ounces at yeah, most. It didn't look I want to pretty I've, small. I, yeah, I've looked at pictures of them and they, and they looked quite small. These are compact. also very traditional to nomadic tribes. Um or nomadic peoples uh, in uh, the Middle East. So this has to be something small and easy to carry around. Also, the the cups that they're pouring into, these are like espresso shot-sized cups of coffee. Like if, you, if you've ever drank uh, traditional Turkish coffee, it is not a lot of coffee at once. It's a no, very small amount because no. it's pretty potent. So um, pretty concentrated, I should say. So essentially, it's this small copper pot with a long wooded handle. Um, sometimes they will add sugar into the actual boiling water. So it's, you don't add it after you add it during the boiling process. Um, this is something that you will order when you order the coffee, you will ask for it to be sweetened or unsweetened. Um, there's actually a way that you do that. You have to like say it a certain way to get sweet or unsweetened when you order it. Um, and so it's boiled with the coffee and the sugar until it starts to froth. Uh, then it is removed from the heat to settle and cool down a bit. And then, uh, so this pot is also called an ebrick pot or eek, eek brit pot, I think in some, um, variations of the word. Um, so that's, uh, just another name for the pot. I think that's like the Turkish name is derived from an Arabic word, um, right. but I think Ebrick is the more like widely known yeah. word for this, this little yeah. pot. Um, I've seen Ebrick a lot yeah. in books. And that least. is I-B-R-I-K, Ebrick. Uh, so then it is poured, uh, into small porcelain serving cups called Cave Finsani or Finchani or which is literally translated to coffee cups. So Cave, K-A-H-V-E. Um, coffee cups. So Turkish coffee is believed to be the oldest brewing method for coffee at around 500 years old. So I think the 1600s is when it started. Yep. Uh, but we'll talk more about that uh, when we cover brewing methods specifically. We'll talk specifically about Turkish brewing then. And Wesley will also cover grinding we'll uh, we'll, we'll touch on it a little mm-hmm. bit later on in the episode yeah um so though it was originally ground using a mortar and pestle which wesley will talk about um what made turkish coffee unique in its preparation is that eventually the coffee was ground in flour mills so they discovered that they could use flour mills 
for more than just grinding flour mm. and wheat. They could use it, uh, or grinding fleet wheat into flour. They could use it for grinding coffee into Turkish grounds. coffee, into yeah. grounds. Um, and because of, like, you don't really have settings on a flour mill. No, they're mill. just giant stones. It's just giant so. stones. So it's going to come out powdery like flour. Yeah. So you have to prepare it in Turkish, uh, in a Turkish style uh, to get the proper way or proper cup of coffee so that's probably one of the biggest things that kind of came out of this whole process of turkish coffee kind of becoming the standard for how Mm -hmm. coffee was brewed is that not only was the brewing method standardized but now the grinding method was kind of standardized in a certain way so that way you could actually or essentially mass produce ground coffee and they began to the ottoman empire began to in that time it was you know exported to other parts of the world maybe not mass produced but it definitely got out of so basically in the areas of the ottoman empire they really began to influence kind of the late roman empire like or the british empire i apologize the british empire and um you know turkish coffee was the first coffee for a lot of europe really like major european cities yeah and again we will talk about this a little bit more when we cover brewing methods but turkish coffee is very portable as well Mm -hmm. the actual like brewing method is very it's literally a pot and you just put it on fire yep so the most portable style of brewing coffee um really known at the time sure well we are gonna take a quick break here you'll hear a word from either whether it's a sponsor or another show from arcadia podcast network and we are going to come back with the history of coffee grinders so that'll be interesting Ooh, fun patents patents yippee we'll be back Did you know that all modern scent hounds are descendant of the bloodhound? Or that the Chihuahua's ancestor, the Tashiji dog, dates back to the Aztecs? Or that a border collie named Chaser knows 1,000 words? You know, the pit bull used to be considered America's dog and was our country's symbol in World War I. Did you know that you could learn all of these facts and more about dogs if you listen to our podcast, We're Getting a Dog? Each week, we go over a different breed's history and what it takes to own it. And we talk a little bit about why we love the breed and try to present each dog in a fair light. You can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you stream podcasts. From the Arcadia Podcast Network. Hello, listeners. Wesley here to talk to you a little bit about how you can support this show. For each episode of all of our podcasts here at Arcadia, we spend our own money on books, articles, and other materials so that we can bring you podcasts that are thoroughly researched and fact-checked. All of the hosts and producers of these shows also work full-time jobs in addition to the podcast so that we can support this passion we all share. If you'd like to support us at We're Getting a Dog, as well as the other podcasts in the Arcadia Podcast Network, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash we're getting a dog, or our website, we're getting a dog.com slash support. 
For as low as $2 per month, you can get access a day early to every new episode of Where Getting a Dog and other Arcadia Podcast Network shows, such as Coffee's On and Good Food for Bad Friends. And at higher levels, you can get one-of-a-kind swag. Thank you for supporting the Arcadia Podcast Network and for listening to this podcast. Now back to the show. So we're going to get now into the history of different coffee grinders. The first coffee grinder, honest to God, was just a mortar and pestle. So mortar and pestles back then weren't the perfectly like manicured ones that you'd have on your kitchen counter today. Many of them were just hollowed out branches of wood from a tree and then a large wooden pole that was just used to like get in there and mash the beans or whatever else you were savory herbs, spices, whatever. Mm hmm. Uh, the one reason that this method makes a lot of sense is because the whole idea of a mortar and pestle is to not only grind what you're grinding up, but also to sort of drag the ingredients against the granite or the wood or the marble, because it, it, that's what you're getting kind of like expunging the flavors from everything for. Um, it's why like some, like back in the day, pharmacists use mortars and pestles. You can still even get mortar and pestles you can grind medication easier because there's just more friction mm-hmm. so it kind of like almost extracts like the juices and stuff yeah like that kind of a thing. yeah okay. or the or the oils or what have you uh la 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 <laughs> okay if you're gonna buy a mortar and pestle just keep in mind that this a stone or granite mortar and pestle is probably your best because the friction is really good and it's easy to clean it's not porous so how much do one of those cost? About 30 bucks. Okay. I looked on Amazon, put on my wish list. I have a stainless steel one, but that's like the worst kind you can get because it's too slick to get anything to grind. So, but anyway, we're moving on now to the 15th century and uh, it's debated whether or not the Turks or the Persians invented the early spice grinders that would serve as the template for the first hand cranked coffee grinders. So there's no clear answer on that. It's debated within both cultures, I guess. So we're just going to give credit to the both of them and say the Turks and the Persians invented the spice grinders that would become coffee grinders. It should be said, though, that the Turks did invent a coffee and spice grinder that was used to help create the super fine grind that developed Turkish coffee. These coffee grinders are often known both for their functionality and ornate design. So if you look up a Turkish coffee grinder, they're hand cranked. They're usually made of like um, like metal that's highly like you can polish really well. So brass, silver, gold. They um, are really pretty. They've got like really ornate designs worked into them. Uh, you just put your coffee in, grind it on the top with a hand crank, and it comes out into a reserve in the bottom. Yes, you can still buy them on online too, like like replicas or whatever. And I think they're functional. So they're designed. Speaking of functionality, they're really like they worked well and they were really pretty. So they lent themselves to the elaborate coffee cup sets that are traditionally used for consuming Turkish coffee. So it, it's it's very much a, a style and functionality combo winner. So. 
Moving on, I'm going to take us now to the 18th century or the 1700s, where the next advances of the coffee grinder takes place. However, before I do that, I will mention that there's also evidence from Damascus, Syria, that a coffee grinder and boiler combo with a cup-shaped bean bin that was possibly also used for consuming the coffee was created in 1665. There is written evidence that that was around. Also, by the 1700s, a catch drawer for the grounds was added to the Turkish coffee grinder models. However, these Turkish grinders could only really be found either in the Ottoman Empire or other major metropolitan cities in Europe who may have been introduced to Turkish coffee by the Ottomans. If you want to check out more about the diaspora of coffee, go ahead and check out episode one if you haven't yet. We cover it in there. As coffee spread around the world and became more widely available, new innovations advanced coffee grinders as well. 1665 was a big year for coffee grinding as the Burr Mill Grinder was introduced by a London man named Nicholas Book. He marketed himself as being the only man who had, quote, unlocked the secret to finely ground coffee. While we know that that's not exactly true because the Turks had been doing it for a couple centuries by then, it was still a major invention in regards to coffee grinding. As we get into the modern era of coffee grinders, I'm just going to quickly go over the machine types. Later on in the episode, Richard will be in charge of describing these actual grinding mechanisms. So, as the United States began to get on its feet, one of the earliest patents, specifically number 198X to be exact, was for a coffee grinder. It was invented by Thomas Bruff of Maryland, and it was a wall-mounted hand-crank coffee grinder that utilized both large and small metal teeth to grind the coffee in an even fashion. A fun fact about Mr. Bruff, he was a dentist and figured that since teeth could mash and grind food in such an even way, why couldn't the same logic be applied to a coffee grinder? He was also Thomas Jefferson's family dentist, which is kind of just a yay for this guy. So that's early America. Early 1798, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I also wrote um, the design of these coffee grinders kind of in particular look like the old fashioned pencil sharpeners Mm -hmm. that we had in like elementary school and middle school. Like, although it is kind of ironic that those pencil sharpeners are technically burr grinders, not like teeth grinder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, the Bruff coffee grinder may still be found in some antique shops around the U.S. as they were manufactured here until 1950. So actually not that super long ago. I imagine that the electric, you know, electric appliance wave of the 1950s definitely put this out of business. So we're going to go back a little bit. So uh, we're still remember now in like the early American history. So we're in 1860 now, and a man named Louis A. Osborne became the first person to manufacture packaged pre-ground coffee. He branded it Java Coffee, and he tried to mass market the product. However, it really never took off under that name. Instead, it was superseded in sales by a competitor in the much more popular Arbuckle's Ariosa Coffee. Now, Ariosa Coffee is actually a very interesting story, so I've added that to our episode topic list. So that's going to need its own episode later on. Back to coffee grinding, though. By the 1870s, new and improved models of the manual crank coffee grinders were coming out. One of the most popular ones was the Champion No. 1 coffee grinder. I don't know if there's anyone better. <laughs> That's kind of a like champion number one. It's the best. Like, but anyway, it was invented by uh, John Gulick Baker. This model was widely sold to general stores and grocery stores around the United States in the late 19th century. 
And then electricity happened. Ben Franklin with his key and his kite and, well, he didn't invent the light bulb. But either way, electricity came into the picture rather quickly. And Hobart Manufacturing of Troy, Ohio, which is still in business today, created the first electric-powered, belt-driven Burr Mill coffee grinder. And that was in 1898. Uh, Hobart Manufacturing is still a major appliance manufacturer, specifically catering to the restaurant industry. We're not sponsored. They refined their coffee grinder and refiled the patent in 1913 with improvements that they had made in the interim. And then finally, as coffee became more widely available to buy after the World Wars and grew as a major commodity during the 20th century, electric coffee grinders that utilized blades instead of burr mills became very cheaply available to you know, anyone buying it in the consumer market. The advancements made in food blending, specifically the invention of the Osterizer blender, helped the science of blade-driven coffee grinding immensely. For our show at this time, we do use a blade grinder to do all of our stuff. Burr grinders are still a costly item, and they are kind of observed as the superior. Uh, Richard will get into that. We don't yet really have the resources to get one, but hopefully through your support and love, we will be able to get one someday. But maybe one may, day, maybe someday. No, they will. I'll dig into it. But yes, burr grinders are kind yeah. of there. It's what industrial like everybody it's in even. the industry yeah, it's, uses. Yeah. Uh, but we'll cover that when we talk about actual grinders. Sure. Out but there. that is your uh, basic history of the history of coffee grinding. So or at least grinding mechanisms and grinding machines mechanisms. And, yeah yeah that's fun yeah i had to look up patents that was something new that was interesting so i but, like how that one guy thought that he's like i've made the best coffee grinder ever it's like yeah the turk has been doing this for some time for a little bit, a little bit. so uh, and it was funny too because the machines look like where the turkish machine or the turkish hand crank looks like a big cylinder essentially his just looked like kind of like a wide based vase it really was the exact same thing yeah. like what's funny too is i'm as you're going through all this stuff i'm you know i'm typing all this in cuz i actually mm-hmm. want to look at what these things look like that original turkish grinder that looks like what most hand crank grinders still look like today oh yeah obviously they're more streamlined and they're a little bit you know they work better they're a little more efficient um but that's like if you were to have a hand crank coffee grinder in your home it's gonna look yeah like it probably did near 500 years ago sure right yeah. uh which is kind of cool that that technology really like if it comes to just grinding things efficiently that technology is been around for yeah, some time and if, if it's something where if you make a small enough amount you don't want to invest in a machine you mm-hmm. know it is an it's still you know a working option definitely and yeah. you can still buy them prime on amazon exactly. <laughs> we just looked <laughs> exactly so back to the importance of the grind so why are we doing this episode all about grinding coffee because right. it's actually very extremely super important when it comes to the end flavor of the coffee um but the biggest thing i would associate with grind is the thickness and flavor of the coffee if we're talking specifically about using it in a drip uh coffee brewer mm-hmm. in a standard home coffee brewer um it's really gonna the difference in grind is really gonna affect kind of like the thickness mm-hmm. and the saturation um so how sure. much of that coffee you kind of extract from it so essentially the finer the grind is the more overall area there is to extract the coffee from 
right? So because you're breaking it down into smaller pieces, there's technically more surface area for the water to touch as it goes through the coffee. It could, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's right. Right. And also more as the more it's broken down, the more the oils are released, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. Because if you just put a whole bean in there, that's not going (laughs) to fill up anything. Yeah. So that's right. So essentially, the finer the grind is, uh, the more overall area there is to extract uh, from the coffee, and the harder it is or longer it takes for water to pass through it. So the more it's just going to sit in the water a little bit longer before the water finally passes through it. So what this means, if we're thinking about a at-home drip uh, coffee maker, the uh, coarser the grind is, so the bigger the chunks are, Mm -hmm. the weaker or more diluted the cup of coffee you're going to get because essentially it's just passing through the beans. The water's passing through the beans too quickly. It's not actually passing over the beans, over the beans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, over the grind too quickly and coming out. Uh, but if you want a thicker, bolder, or more potent cup of coffee, then you're going to want to use a finer grind. So essentially more potency with a finer grind, less potency with a thicker grind or a coarser grind. Sorry. Hence, like espresso. Yes. And, yeah. However, the grind is not the only factor when we're talking about brewing. Time is another huge uh, factor for this so uh and quite frankly the two go hand in hand like you're not going to be able to do one without the other uh-huh. um so typically with coarser grinds you're going to want to brew them for a longer period of time as it will take longer for the water to extract all the flavors from that coffee conversely for finer grinds you don't need as long of a brewing time as the coffee is extracted pretty quickly and it can be uh, easily scalded or overbrewed mm-hmm. um, if you were to leave it in for essentially letting the water sit with the coffee for too long. Right. So we talked about this on the last episode with espresso is that um, you can get kind of a sour or gross tasting cup of espresso if too much water is poured through it. So keeping all this in mind uh, with grinds and um, times for brewing and stuff like that, here are the best types of grinds for the different major types of coffee brewing. Okay. So extremely coarse grinds are best for cold brew coffee, which usually takes up to 24 hours to brew or steep. So cold brew is usually left out uh, over... or put in the fridge left overnight um to actually fully brew um so because it has such a long period of time for it to actually um, Mm -hmm. brew or steep uh you want to really coarse grind for that um the next one on this kind of like scale of course to find is going to be for french press coffee um so this is a slower manual brewing method um oddly enough brewing it, it takes about as long as a v60 pour over or a chemex like the actual time of doing it however the way that it's being brewed is different where a v60 is the water is actually flowing through it because you're going pouring over the top and it's going down a french press is essentially the beans soaking um right so you don't want steeping steeping essentially like french press i would say is the closest hot coffee method you get to tea oh yeah definitely i don't really like french press because i think it tastes like tea See, I like French press because you get less of the acidity. That's the other thing, too. The uh, that's okay. The longer you let uh, the coffee brew in coarser grinds, the less acidity you're going to get out of it. Um, the quicker it goes, the more it's going to pull like 
the the more the quicker it goes the more easily it's going to pull off that like oil and stuff like that that's going to kind of give you that greasy um acidic mouth feel and mouth taste yeah uh so french press is famously not non-acidic because of that because it takes a little bit longer uh to steep but uh the next one after that is uh medium coarse grinds uh these are used mostly for pour overs and chemic style manual brewing methods so we'll get into this with the with the actual brewing methods but pour over and so v60 pour over and chemex are technically different Mm -hmm. even though they're the same but they're technically different but we'll cover that later um but this is the grind that we use for our pour over coffees uh that we taste at the top of the show so we use uh, probably more we probably do it a little more solidly medium um yeah but medium I, I, to coarse i feel like with um this kind of hard to achieve with our with my coffee grinder to be quite honest you can't really pick with like a medium mm-hmm. coarse because if you do too coarse you have to like pulse it and then even then you're still going to have giant chunks so mm-hmm. it's like you kind of have to get it evenly medium yeah down. so yeah. Yeah, that's just how we go and we do it for our V60s. Like if you're thinking this of this on a scale of like one to ten, five being like one being coarse, five being uh, medium, mm-hmm. like a, a medium exact uh, middle, and then ten being extremely fine. The best for a pour, pour over is probably about a four, okay. I would say. So sure. it's almost to that medium, but a little bit on the coarse side. Uh-huh. Um, then the next one is right there at the five. Uh, that is exactly medium. And this is best for drip coffee brewers, which is the most common type. So if you're getting coffee for at home, you're just going to want a straight up medium grind right. on everything. Then we go into medium fine grinds. Mm. So getting into six, seven there on the scale. This is best for AeroPress coffee and some mocha pots. So I would say AeroPress is probably more on the six ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say mocha pots is M O K A, mocha pots are probably at seven. Uh, then finely ground or what we know as espresso grind so this is the only grind that actually has its own name Mm -hmm. because it's a type of grind for a type of brewing method sure uh so espresso grind uh is going to be probably about an eight ish eight to nine uh depending um and obviously this is best for espresso uh this can also be used in mocha pots because mocha pot is essentially like a stove top version of making espresso okay um not exactly but very close Mm -hmm. um and the last is a powdery fine or turkish grind so i was wrong when i said espresso is the only one that has a grind name sure turkish is the other one and usually if you see it it's labeled turkish ground yeah so usually so if you go into like a supermarket or something like that or a coffee shop and they have one of those industrial grinders with a little dial on it when it gets to the very end of the dial it'll probably say espresso then turkish like it'll actually say and a lot of them will say you know medium will be for drip the core side will say like french press or or cold brew or whatever so they'll actually have it labeled for your ease i've also seen it labeled as super fine because it's it it, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to have the same consistency as super fine sugar which is the level between powdered sugar and um granulated sugar i don't like to call it i i know that um some places have described it as having the consistency of powdered sugar, but I don't like to describe it that way because powdered sugar contains additive starch. 
So I think the texture is completely wrong. If like it's it's not it's like clumpy, and I don't think that it's clumpy because of starch, not clumpy because of oils. Like coffee is. So mm-hmm. I would rather it be kind of like super fine sugar that clumps together. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. Super fine sugar is lemonade sugar, by the way. If ever you see that in a recipe, it's like the re it's like it dissolves quickly in water. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So those are the different like settings of grinds. Um, but for brewing coffee at home, you can really use any grind you want. It's completely up to you. Um, if you buy a thing of coffee that is pre-ground, it'll most likely be a medium. Actually, it might even be medium coarse like it might be around the four on that scale i feel like i see more medium medium coarse i buy the one i have out right now is lavaza and that's medium fine because it can also be used yes because lavaza is an espresso company i use cafe bastello which see this is is what i actually drink at home like a lot of you uh listeners might be thinking wow they must have the nicest coffee every day no i drink like four dollar comes in a brick lavaza (laughs) or uh cafe bastello see i can't stomach bastello anymore it gives me the worst stomach ache now i will say i go through periods where i'm like i can't drink this yeah i will say that just because it is so thick i mean it's a dark roast medium to dark roast ground to an espresso fineness and i'm using it in a drip coffee so it's Mm -hmm. it's a pretty heavy coffee to drink every day uh, not for everybody, but I do love it. So the big thing about the grinds, as we've been talking about, is that it's going to change the taste of of your coffee. And this is probably most notable in either pour-over or drip coffee brewing methods. Uh, this is where really you're going to get um, a very, very different taste if you grind it to different settings. Obviously, espresso too, it's going to make a bit a big difference. But if you put like, a medium grind and espresso machine it's just gonna you're gonna ask the barista to do it again because it's gonna taste horrible but some people use a slightly coarser grind in their drip coffee and it makes for a slightly lighter cup with a thinner body to it and some people like myself use a slightly finer grind in their drip which causes a stronger tasting cup of coffee with a thicker body to it so essentially the more flavor you want, the more kind of like potent you want your mm-hmm. drip coffee to be or pour over to be, the finer the grind sure. you're going to want. Though I would say, I would advise against doing like an espresso blend in a pour over. I don't think that's, I don't think it's going to go through very well. See, drip coffee brewers use a higher pressure of heated coffee. They kind of like push it out um, at a it higher like, velocity it like shoots it at the yes. grounds yeah. so because of that it can actually get through it a little bit easier um on a pour over you're just going with gravity mm-hmm. and that's just not enough velocity for the water to get through a finer grind so really yeah. stick to a medium grind with pour overs at its at its finest you should be sticking to a medium grind yeah. for pour overs and then for drip i never use medium coarse i think it it, it just makes it taste too light i it's use medium way, fine it, or medium i kind of taper between the two because sometimes i like it a little thicker sometimes mm-hmm. i'd like i'd rather just have like you know a quick cup of coffee so i'll mm-hmm. just make the regular medium ground i really it does really make a difference you can honest. really taste it i like if you have the resources to do this if you get a bag of whole coffee beans i would grind like try a few different cups at different grinds with the same coffee beans mm-hmm. so you can taste the difference between the two and find one that actually works for you so now you know how to get it ground whenever you go to a store
So the next big thing that we need to cover with coffee grinding is freshness. Now, some of our listeners are already probably aware of this, but one big thing to know about grinding coffee is freshness after the fact. The unfortunate thing about coffee being ground is once it's done, oxidation begins and this will affect the oils and the aroma of the coffee beans. This is why Wesley and I smell the coffee beans both before and after we grind them and brew them in the V60. And to be honest with you, it's actually really interesting how much of a difference you can get even after a few seconds of grinding them down. Like the beans will smell different from when they're in the bag whole to after you've ground them. Um, like it, it's a whole different type of smell because it's oh, yeah. releasing all those oils and aromas into the air. Uh, so you get a very different smell. And then obviously, because um, that's oxidation setting in, like yeah. immediately setting in um, because it's now opened. Uh, but the key point to know here is that oxidation will eventually make the coffee start to taste stale. Uh, so oxidation, for those of you who don't know what that means, is just the process of which oxygen is introduced into something and yeah. starts to break it down. I mean, that's it's very simple, but that's what it is. And usually oxidation is what makes things taste stale. Yeah. Right? That's It's oxygen just breaking down the molecules. Um and changing the flavor. Mm -hmm. So a good rule of thumb for ground coffee freshness is two to three weeks after grinding. This is if you're taking whole beans and grinding them into whatever you, you're using for your coffee pots. Um, but if it's a pre-ground bag, it's still about two to three weeks after opening the bag. Uh, this is all dependent uh, on proper storage of the beans as well. So if you buy a bag of uh coffee beans that are pre-ground they are usually like sealed mm -hmm. when they're when after they're ground they're put into the bag and then the bag is sealed vacuum packed, uh, vacuum -packed yeah. essentially so after you open that bag you have probably about two to three weeks i would guess probably on the two week side um sure. for those beans to actually well, be at their freshest a bag of coffee never lasts two weeks yeah like if house. you drink coffee like <laughs> like we do or like most Americans do, it's probably going to last you like a week. And this is why, that. you know, this is why we don't recommend going to Costco and buying giant canisters of pre-ground coffee, because by the time you get to the bottom of that, you're literally just going to be drinking like dyed water at that point. Whole beans. Fine. Fine. Yeah. Ground beans. You no. should probably not buy. I would advise to not buy and even more than 12 ounces of pre-ground coffee beans, which is pretty much the standard for most. That's like what you get at like the standard bag at Target yeah. is 12 ounces, like like the not the canisters, mm -hmm. like the like the bags, like the plasticky metallic inside bag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once you open your coffee beans, what is or grind your coffee beans? What is the proper way of storing them? Uh, so the first thing is to store in a cool, dry place away from any sunlight, like any kind of food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like pretty much just don't put it in the sun and don't put it in the heat or don't put it conversely in uh, the freezing cold. So probably in a solid container. Uh, so nothing clear or opaque because you don't want the sunlight affecting it. I know a lot of people are like, I want to put all my things in mason jars and things like that to make it look cute. I'm like, yeah, but that'll actually affect the taste uh, because the if 
especially if it's in a kitchen that has a lot of sunlight, it's going to affect the taste mm-hmm. of the coffee. So at least like put it in a cupboard or something like that. Um, also, coffee beans need to be stored in a temperature stable area. So do not put them in the fridge or freezer. I don't know of anybody does, that does that, but I feel like that might have been a thing that people did a long time time ago maybe um, you I know feel it's like, like you know, in order to preserve it just throw it in the fridge or throw it in the freezer kind of a thing but yeah. they need to be um it mostly especially for medium to darker roasts it can affect the oils yeah in them that that coldness it can make them brittle um and dry them out so you just get a really not flavorful yeah bean if you put it in the fridge or i mean freezer. i always store them you know this is the reason we have pantries you know windowless rooms <laughs> that stay cool And the next thing is store the beans in their original bag if you can. Uh, That bag will have residue of oils from the beans that can essentially kind of, you know, reattach themselves to the beans um, after you put them back in. So uh, if we were to grind this entire bag of Haymarket roast from the mill today, it would be wise of us to put them back into that same bag because it has the residue or the residual oils uh from the beans in that bag um or uh i have like a i'm not sure this is the right word but i have like one of those ceramic like javelia jar things you know those kind of pressurized ones Mm -hmm. that i put all of my coffee into so that jar and i really i don't wash it like in between coffee things Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like you know you know an old cast iron pan right it has that seasoned flavor (laughs) coffee oils in there so they're not going to lose anything uh from the cleanliness of a new bag or a new uh bin or something like that Mm -hmm. um so yeah you want to put it back in their original packaging if you can and then you know seal it as tight as possible um so though you want uh this is number three though you want the storage container to be reasonably airtight you will need to aerate the beans occasionally to let any buildup of carbon dioxide out so this is why most coffee bean bags have those little like hole slots in them um on either the front or the back of the bag and that is to allow co2 to release so co2 can also break down um the coffee flavors You're talking and about stuff the like smell that. holes right yes yeah yeah a lot of people think those are just so you can smell what the beans are like no that's actually it's there. handy for that it is handy for that but they're there to help co2 release yeah so that is i don't i actually didn't look this up and i probably should but it's a specific like pressurized valve valve that only lets a little bit out at a time and that's essentially to prevent co2 from building up so that's how to store coffee effectively so once you actually grind it you have two to three weeks stored in the same container sort in a dry cool or temperature stable place um i mean most of you already know how to do that but just a reminder on how to get the best out of your coffee beans however i will say if you want the freshest tasting pot of coffee grind your beans day of Mm -hmm. so they don't have a chance for any of that aeration to set in uh this is why we grind our beans and then immediately make the pour over on this show uh so that's proper storage and the last thing really to cover in this episode are the different types of coffee grinders so wesley has alluded to these a bit when he was going over the history um but pretty much the two major types are either a blade grinder or a burr grinder first we'll cover the blade grinder even though that is the newer type of grinder um but it's exactly like what you would think it would be it's similar to a food processor or a blender it's literally just metal blade 
tearing through, cutting up, going shredding real fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, just going real fast in a circle, cutting up the beans. Um, but these type of grinders are typically cheaper and they as they are easier to make and take less moving parts to make. So uh, I think Wesley talked about that a little bit before in the history. They're just a cheaper way of grinding coffee. Right. Um, you can, I think I wrote it down somewhere in my notes, but you can find these on Amazon for like 20 bucks at Target oh, yeah. for 20 bucks. Like yeah. they're, they're not an expensive item. Um, they don't take a lot of, it's really because they just don't take a lot of moving parts, small little electric yeah. motor that spins it in a circle and that's it. Uh, they're also very simple to use. Uh, the finer you want the grind, the longer you grind the beans. Like it's, it's very easy. Like if you want to find grind, you just keep them in there for longer. Um, however, the big disadvantage to blade grinders is consistency. So it's just incredibly hard to get a consistent grind throughout, um, because the blades are fixed, right? Like you're, you know, you essentially have to move the coffee grinds around in the actual Mm-hmm. grinder in the little blender blending area in order to kind of like mix them up um right. and get it's all just of like, them it's, ground it's the literally same way. a mini blender yeah like. essentially um so usually when i use my blade grinder and when we use the one here to make our our pour overs um i have to like shake it around a bit even yeah. while i'm grinding i pick the thing up and shake it around i do that too um or i'll use a spoon or butter knife to kind of like scrape off the bottom layer mine and has mix a little thing on the inside you can turn and it scrapes the sides mm-hmm. and bottom which is super handy yeah i mine doesn't have that so i have to like you know unplug it or take the thing out so i don't accidentally grind my finger or a yeah. spoon and then like mix it around to actually kind of even it out uh, so that's like the really unfortunate thing about blade grinders. Um, it's also harder to set an exact grind in blade grinders, uh, since they blend without bias. Mm. This is what I put in my notes. They blend without bias. So you, um, you really have to kind of like blend then grind or blend then check, then blend then check yeah. in, in order to get to a certain amount of fineness in yeah. your grind. Um, if you're making like, Honestly, if you're doing anything other than like pour over or drip, I would not invest in a no, blade grinder. No. Like if you're trying to be something, if you're trying to get like a coarse grind for a French press or a cold brew or something really fry, fine for like a mocha pot, home espresso maker or a Turkish coffee, you're going to want to get a burr grinder because you're just going to get a better, more exact, consistent grind out of it. Really, blade grinders are mostly just good for drip coffee, I would say. Um but they are cheaper, yes. which is why more people have them. Mm-hmm. So the other major type of grinder is the burr grinder, B-U-R-R grinder. So burr grinders work by crushing the beans instead of cutting them along a serrated, like flat, flat but serrated surface, mm-hmm. as opposed to cutting them with a blade. So there are they are a more precise and consistent way of grinding beans as you can actually set the burrs for a certain distance from each other, and that Mm. creates a specific grind. So essentially, once the beans are ground, they can't pass through the grinder until they've gotten to a certain amount of fineness. And you can set that fineness for, you know, as coarse or as fine as you Mm -hmm. want. Um, Now, there are two types of burr grinders, flat and conical. Uh, So flat burr grinders use two identical and parallel rings that are uh, that are serrated on the sides 
Flat burr grinders use two identical and parallel rings that are serrated on the sides that face each other. The rings spin in opposite directions, and the beans are crushed or pulverized, love that word, between the two <laughs> burrs to create a certain grind. The closer the burrs are together, uh, the finer the coffee grind is going to be. So this is, yeah, essentially just imagine two discs with some serratedness on the sides that are facing each other, working in opposite directions mm -hmm. and crushing the beans as they spin. The closer they are together, the finer the grind is going to be. So that's sure. um, a flat burr grinder. The other one is a conical burr grinder. So uh, works pretty much the same. It's just how the burrs are like facing each other. Mm -hmm. So this uses... It's kind of hard to describe. I would honestly like Google an image of a burr grind of a conical burr grinder because mm -hmm. um, that'll give you a better idea of what how they actually work. So it's two um, rings or two sections. One is the actual cone shape, um, or yeah, triangular cone round cone shape, which is serrated on the outside of the cone, and then the other is like a thick ring mm -hmm. that is serrated on the inside of the ring and Got also it. at an angle. So it's okay. the same angle as the cone, right? Um, and then they they also turn in opposite yeah. directions. Um, so one goes on the inside, one goes on the outside. They turn in opposite directions. And then pretty much um, you, in order to get a finer grind, you like lower them you know, into okay. or you know, like sure, you push yeah. them closer together, the two rings closer together or further apart to get a coarser grind. So very similar. It's just the shape is different. Yeah. Um, the important thing is that the edges are serrated and um, that are f like facing each other um, and that you're actually it's not cutting the beans. It's it is actually grinding them. It's pushing right. them together until they crack uh, into a certain, you know, fineness. Um, but yeah, that's burr grinders. Um, but the big thing is that, uh, they produce a more consistent and precise type of ground bean. They are exclusively used in commercial coffee grinders. So you will not find a commercial coffee grinder that uses a blade because they are just mm. too inconsistent. Um, and they are obviously preferred by coffee aficionados at home for their preciseness. Uh, this also means that they are more expensive than blade grinders. There's more moving parts to them. They can also damage more easily. Yeah. Um, I think most companies use metal burrs. I've heard of ceramic burrs before. Um, I know the ones that I've nicer. seen are metal. Like I think ceramic yeah. burrs uh, are a little bit nicer, but they can break much more easily. Oh, They're yeah. much more fragile. Uh, so you do not want to like move those, bump those around, smack mm -hmm. them into each other because um, you don't want ceramics getting into your coffee. Um, but to give you an idea, the average like home burr grinder will cost you about 60 to $70 on the lower end. That's on the lower end. And that's for like small amounts. Those are small. Yeah. Those are small amount of grinds. That's not like I'm going to grind an entire bag of coffee. That's I'm grinding just for this pot of coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can get like a really specific with your burr grinders you can get dosing and non-dosing automatic and manual all these different kinds of things so dosing and non-dosing is essentially it's going to dose a certain amount of coffee out for you right so if you're like i want one cup of coffee then you would dose it to one cup of coffee or i, I want enough to fill this uh two shot porta filter then you're gonna dose it to that mm -hmm. so actually a lot of coffee shops will have 
or a fair amount of coffee shops will have a dosing burr grinder for their espresso machine. Mm-hmm. They'll essentially set it uh, in the morning. You know, they'll set it when they come in um, to like a you know a specific amount. They're like, oh, I want it dosed to exactly this much to come out based on you know how the espresso is behaving today, sure. uh, kind of a thing. And then they'll just set it for the rest of the day uh, to only give you that much. Whereas some people will actually like grind the coffee out and then weigh it. And then scoop off however much they need mm-hmm. to and then tamp it and put in the espresso machine. Um, and then you have automatic and manual ones. Uh, so automatic ones are going to be the essentially electric ones where you press a button and it grinds it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the manual or crank, crank. style, which yeah. is what uh, the Turkish yeah. looking, the, the old Turkish ones. Look. grinders. Yeah. yeah. Think of, you know, those like pepper mills pepper that you mills, get at yeah. the uh, at the Olive Garden where they're like, how much pepper do you want or how much parmesan do you actually want? that's a kind rotary wheel and that uses yeah. a blade yes um but essentially they look like that it's just a yeah. large cylinder with a hand crank on the end my favorite thing though i was actually looking up manual uh burr grinders like just to see how much they cost they yeah. do cost quite a bit less they're like 30 40 dollars tops sure. uh, for a manual grinder and a lot of a lot of manual grinders are sold as like outdoorsy things you know because you don't need electricity for it so you can take it camping with you things like that and my favorite comments on all of them are how loud they are (laughs) like yes it's a coffee grinder have you ever had anything blended in your life where it made no noise little to no noise like anything that is ground is going to make noise yeah um but that's always my favorite like comment (laughs) like it woke everybody at the campsite up like well no like come on like it's a grinder so if you are uh hoping to do some uh camp coffee things and worried about waking people up just grind your coffee before you before you go it's probably easy or you know walk like 200 feet away from the campsite and grind the coffee (laughs) bother another camper (laughs) bother another another campsite um but we will probably have an entire episode about backpacking and camping coffee which I am very excited that's for. That's going to be a lot of you. That's going to be a lot of me talking. Because um, I have I talked about sitting in a chair and reading coffee. Yeah, yes. Because <laughs> um, I've tried a few different ways and I have my opinions. Anyway. Um, but yeah, those are the different types of grinders. Uh, burr and blade. Hopefully we will get a burr grinder uh, one of these days. So we can have a more precise grind for when we make our coffee. Um, but that's pretty much all we have for this episode that's as Mm -hmm. much as we could find on different types of grinds i hope this information was useful uh some of it might have just been like yeah we knew that richard and wesley i think it was interesting i think that the history of it specifically just learning that there were people who took a genuine interest in getting this consistent i think that's Mm -hmm. really interesting Mm -hmm. i like i i should have dug more into the like invention of burr of burrs in order to grind I, things because you know, that's I a really tr- i tried there's really not a lot oh that's too bad like that's I a really it's... interesting thing to me is that like let's crush these beans mm-hmm. with serrated edges sure i mean know, like flour mills yeah. mills might be a better direction to go i just didn't have the time to research the invention of a flour mill because <laughs> it's essentially the same thing yeah like it's just a much, much finer grind instead of coffee. But no, I thought this whole, I thought this episode was actually pretty interesting from a yeah. historical standpoint. But are you ready for my fun fact? Oh my gosh. Tell me. Okay. <laughs> so the fun fact is it takes 22 months for a patent to get approved. So get cracking on the new coffee grinders, y'all. <laughs> 20 
two months. On average. On that's average. an average. It may have been different. Is that in the U.S.? That's in the U.S. In the U.S. And, you know, this is different because, you know, this guy who got his patent for his, he was Thomas Jefferson's dentist. So he kind of had a main line. It's like, can you just, like, take this can there? Can you and expedite give it this, please? Yeah, it was patent Mr. number President. 198. So it was one of the first. 198. Wow. Yeah. That is so early. So Time, 22 so. months. 22 months. Get it's almost to a couple years on yeah. those new grinders there. All right. Well, before we go today, Richard is going to tell us the next topic for the show. So for this week's draw, we're not actually drawing names out of a mug because of when this episode is going to release. Not this episode. The next episode is going to release. And that is early September, which is the beginning of pumpkin spice latte season uh yes yes. the pumpkin spice latte the psl if you please so that entire episode we will be covering pumpkin spice lattes it is a big enough topic that we will probably be able to so because every coffee house virtually every coffee house has some version of it has some version of it because they have to yeah like it's it's a necessity that they kind of have to for the season this is of all the coffee shops that I've worked at, the one that is a guaranteed seasonal drink is pumpkin flavoring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, pumpkin spice will be the next topic of conversation for next week. episode. Yes. Happy autumn, everybody. Happy, when autumn. happy post Labor Day. Yes. Um, that's going to be weird. I don't know if we're. I'm wondering what coffee we're going to have to get for that. Do you think we can find a pumpkin f- spice flavored coffee? Our to grocery store makes with? it. Yeah. I buy it every year. Then we're going to have to do that. Oh God, that's going to be, ins- that's going to be a lot. <laughs> that's going to be so weird and a pour over, but yeah. we're going to give it a go. We'll give it a shot. But anyways, um, but I'm interested. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear your opinions on, since you're a cook and a great baker, mm is your opinions on the actual flavoring combination of coffee and pumpkin. I'll make a pumpkin pastry. Because this is something we've actually talked about before, of the actual like flavor combinations of pumpkin and coffee and how well they do or don't go together. Exactly. So we'll cover that in next episode about the pumpkin spice latte. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a fun one with this episode. A lot of interesting things that we brought up, uh, but we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. This podcast is written and produced by Richard Isolafel and Wesley Van Heusen and is a part of the Arcadia Podcast Network. Check out our Instagram at Coffees on Podcast to see the different coffees we try with each episode. Thank you for listening. See you next time on Coffees on.